0: Welcome to Backyard Pet Talk with Shannon Riley. I have Temple Graydon as a guest today. I'm super excited to have her here as she has been a big change in how we see animals and how we interpret animals. So before we get started on my questions with Temple, first, Temple, can you just give us a little background about how you got into animals and how you started in this crazy career?
1: Well, it all started in high school. Um, I was a terrible student, I got bullied and teased in high school and like kicked out of regular high school with throwing a book. Ended up going to a special boarding school and they put me to work uh, taking care of the horse barn and cleaning nine stalls every day. Also, riding horses was one of the few activities where I was not bullied. This brings up a really important thing, friends through shared interests. I cannot emphasize that enough. And so how do you get interested in anything? You first have to get exposed to it. And if you're not exposed to it, then there's no way you can get interested in it. And horses and cattle came into my life as a teenager. So that's how it got
0: started. That is perfect. And when did you realize that you saw things different than other people? You know, that you looked and saw things in pictures, which you've talked about a lot in your books, but when did you start
1: well, I realizing? About
0: an animal's translation.
1: I talked about how autism helped me understand animals and I'm an extreme visual thinker everything I think about is a photorealistic picture now in all of my 20s and most of my 30s I did not know that other people did not think in pictures Mm -hmm. I thought everybody thought in pictures and it was kind of a shock to find out there are some people that think almost entirely in
0: words yes and I didn't. I'm a visual thinker too, so I didn't understand that anybody else didn't see that either until I learned about you. And I was like, "Oh, that's why I can't." I, the way I learn is very visual. And um, well, you did you have a hard time with algebra? I did.
1: Yep, that I, tends to be the pattern. Abstract math is really hard to understand because there's nothing to visualize.
0: Yes, I, I, I love geometry. I, geometry and then, trigonometry, I was good
1: at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that tends to be the pattern. You mm-hmm. can visualize trigonometry like on a suspension bridge. I'm
0: mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
1: um, seeing the Golden Gate Bridge, mm-hmm.
0: other suspension bridges. That, you exactly. That's something that can be visualized. Exactly. And then that takes us to talk about, which you talk about a little bit in your book, Visual Thinkers, but also how did that translate how you understood animals as far as like when you realize you're a visual thinker, And now you're putting that into working with animals and how they think and how they process.
1: Well, an animal lives in a sensory-based world. I tell vet students, I tell people when I'm talking about animal behavior, your first step is you have to get away from words. Mm -hmm. What is it seeing? Its memories will be pictures, certain sounds, touch sensations. It is a sensory-based world, not a word-based world. That is the first thing that you've got to do. In fact, in my new book, Visual Thinking, The Hidden Gifts of People Who Think in Pictures, Patterns, and Abstractions, I actually have found some of the research that documents that different kinds of thinking exist. And some people are mixtures. But there's two ways to visualize things. There's the object visualizer like me, who where everything is a photorealistic picture. Mm-hmm. And then you've got the visual, spatial, mathematical mind where they think in patterns, Mm. patterns instead of pictures. So let's look at some of the things the different kinds of thinkers can be good at. Object visualizers like me are good at art, understanding animals, uh, photography, but also mechanical things because you can just see how a machine works, something like fixing cars, Mm -hmm. but really bad at algebra (laughs) because you cannot visualize it. Yes visual spatial pattern thinkers, math chemistry but also music music and math go together Mm -hmm. and art mechanics and animals Mm -hmm. that tends to go together and then you have your verbal thinkers Mm -hmm. and in my book visual thinking I have a discussion of animal consciousness and I find it unbelievable that there are still people today that would question whether or not dog is conscious to me that's Mm -hmm. just ridiculous yes but if you're a person who thinks entirely in words, you might have a difficult time kind of figuring out how the dog can think without words. Yes. Because when I started looking at the affiliations of some of the people that doubted animal consciousness, you know, um, humanities department, on uh, <laughs> um, psychology department, really verbal. Papers. Yeah, yeah, that and is.
0: Mathematicians don't doubt it. The computer science people don't doubt it. The art people certainly don't. That is really fascinating. And something, this is a little off what I had planned, but you made me think of something. I teach dog agility. So I teach them to go over jumps and through tunnels and weaves there. And I would, this would be a fascinating study from what you just said. I always tell people I have dogs who are really good at weaves and doing things in, you know, patterns. They like those back back and forth or dogs who are really good on going like over the A-frame on a teeter. And I'm wondering if those dogs, if we looked at this at a sub, even a smaller looking at dogs, do they have different kinds of visual thinking within themselves? Because I have some dogs that struggle with the A-frame, that big object, but others who just take it. And then I have others who struggle learning the weave poles or patterned type, um, you know, exercises we do. That would be really interesting because if dogs have even a subset, uh, visual well, there is
1: ability in animals to navigate in space
0: mm-hmm. you see
1: and that would be similar to the mathematical mind i mean birds mm-hmm. have a magnetic sense and for you know migrating following landmarks that's more the mathematical so you've yeah. got mathematics in animal mind and uh-huh. you've got the visual thinking and it would be interesting to find out if the dogs that are good at the jumps and dogs that are terrible at the weaving let's say uh-huh how are they on other training
0: stuff? It would be that you know would be very, very interesting. Yeah, yeah if the, if they were more interested in tracking or yeah, different way how their brain worked. That would be fascinating. Well, like the tracking dogs, they just want to smell stuff. <laughs> that is true. And That's then all they, they just want to do. And they get, and they'll get into a pattern though If a really good tracking dog will go right and left and right and left and scan too. So I think there's work that could be done. I mean, we've done, as your book said, so much in the human mind of what we've learned about us, which has taken us a long it, enough time. It's been shown in humans
1: that there's the object visualizer like me. And I'm very concerned that our educational system is screening us out. You know, drag I totally agree. algebra requirements. Mm-hmm. I never have passed an algebra class. But what I have found in working on engineering stuff is there's kind of two parts of engineering. There's the visual thinkers like me that work in the shop that are the clever engineers that invent mechanical devices. Uh-huh. And then the more mathematical people for something like a food processing plant do boilers and
0: refrigeration. Yeah. So we, don't, we don't mess with that stuff. We don't understand. <laughs> but, but I they, totally hear you with algebra, man. I had to get a tutor to pass that in high school. It was, and I couldn't tell you any of it. Like I didn't have no retention. It was just enough to pass the class. It was terrible. So I wish that, I think you're right though. I think that our educational system is not focusing on, on us. And, and then in that case, it's also hurting probably people with animal careers because, because they push us down. And, and I can say personally, I sometimes felt like I was not as smart, quote unquote, as everybody else, because I, learn different. I loved art. Art was my favorite class. You know, I did science. I liked the biology, hands-on, anatomy, physiology yeah. things. And but it was I was a struggle for me. High school school was a struggle for me until I got into my vet tech program where and then you got your vet tech program and you were just fine. Yes. And then I was like, "Wait, maybe I'm smarter than I thought." But I don't think yeah. it was ever that I wasn't smart. I just didn't fit into what the typical education system thought of us. No, I think that that is fascinating. Now, something else that I think is also fascinating is how you learned about pressure and, you know, how animals, like especially the cattle, but that the day, but now we've gone to pressure on dogs with thunder shirts. My daughter, who is autistic, wore a theratog suit when she was small and pressure helped her. And I know you did some stuff, and this is not dogs, but it's cattle, but pressure and how pressure helps. Well, these I noticed animals.
1: when cattle went in the squeeze shoot to get their vaccinations. That's the background in high school. Mm-hmm. that all that presses on their sides that some of the animals kind of relaxed so out. Yeah. yeah back in the 60s people thought that was really weird but now <laughs> but, pressure is recognized you know is, is calming and yeah the patents for the thunder shirt um actually reference my squeezing machine do they i've never you looked know, at they the actually patents. do and there's been a study that's shown that thunder shirts seem to help on separation distress Yes. I think they help more
0: on that than they do on a thunder. I think so. I think that it can be used in different ways, but when I was, um, my daughter, when she was in preschool, she was struggling with staying focused. She couldn't climb the ladders of the playground. She struggled a lot, but we didn't have her diagnosed at the time and her, but she was diagnosed with cerebral palsy and her physical therapist said, you've got to try one of these suits under her clothes. And so it was like, Biker shorts, but made out of Velcro and neoprene, and then a—it was like a tank top, but Velcro, so it could be really tight. We cranked it on. Literally, she went to school one day, couldn't do anything, and then the next day she went to preschool and she was climbing the ladders. She was sitting on her spot, and her teacher went, "What did you do?" And I just showed. I said, "She's got a thunder shirt underneath," and, or not a thunder shirt. It was a theratog suit. Then a few years later, I went to an APDT conference, and they were introducing thunder shirts. I went to the expo and I bought one of every size because I knew how much it affected my daughter and how much it affects animals. And I think that's something that if we go back to those visual learners, you learn because you were watching and you noticed with the cattle, how they changed. Yeah. Yeah. You could sense that where a person who's maybe a auditory learner or just a word thinker, they would, they just bypass Well, they don't see it. And they and there's
1: also a tendency to, Dismiss observation is just anecdotal. But mm-hmm. how do you form hypotheses for research? You have to start out with the anecdotal, like you're telling me about the dogs that are jumpers and the dogs that are weavers. Exactly. I'm wondering it, how that relates to other training. I, it, you know I that, think it's... Does it, this have a breed relationship or would you see this within a breed?
0: I see it across any kind of breed. It can be, like, I have some border collies who I think were born to do weave poles, like literally. And then I okay. have some border collies who look at them and struggle and can't. So it's not even within a breed. It's more okay. in the within individual. Breed, well, you yeah. should
1: study it, I'd rather do it within a breed.
0: Yeah, so, exactly. Well, board first. Of college
1: that are weavers and border collies that are jumpers. And then it'd be interesting to see how that relates to other training stuff, like.
0: Exactly, I think standing. we have a new study. Temple, I think we're gonna be doing a study here. <laughs> yeah, that would be um, fun. It'd be interesting. So you talk about your visual thinking. Is there other ways that autism has also helped you help animals?
1: Well, I think it's mainly through being a sensory-based thinker. Mm -hmm. You can understand how an animal would feel. Like Mm -hmm. you can also get uh, visual memories that are fear memories. Like in Animals in Translation, I discussed the black cat horse. Mm -hmm. And he was a BLM Mustang that had been abused by a person wearing a black cowboy hat. So he became terrified of black cowboy hats. White cowboy hats were okay black cowboy hats were bad
0: mm-hmm.
1: and you got a black hat near him he would just start to rear yes now, if I put and- the hat on the, on the ground it was less scary I got him to touch it on the ground but when I put the getting the hat close to my head he got more and more tense now you can sometimes get uh, problems where a horse associates a certain bit with being abused mm-hmm. so that one can be easy to fix in fact we have a program here colorado state called the right horse program where they train rescue horses and this one horse was just frothing at the mouth and everything with spit and it was a jointed snaffle well we found another bridle with a one-piece bar
0: mm-hmm.
1: a one-piece bar in his mouth and everything was fine yes see, it was a different feeling picture i was just gonna say that feeling picture jointed was associated with bad one-piece straight bar it was not and then I had the students hold the different bits in their hands and shut their eyes and think about feeling pictures. And I saw some lights go on
0: in their heads. That is, because as a visual thinker, I'm very good at identifying triggers of dogs I'm working with or cats or horses, whatever animal I'm working with. I can see, like, they'll startle, even if the person doesn't understand. And a lot of times I'm explaining this to more word thinkers like this, and they don't see it. Yeah. And then I can, yeah, and, and they then I can get it. And then I show them. And exactly what you're saying is sometimes I have to let them, I have to be creative and say, okay, you know, feel this or look at this and, or talk to them about a time when they were afraid. Maybe they're afraid at a car accident. They got in a car accident at an intersection. And I'll say, how do you feel every time you go in that intersection now? And they'll go, oh, I'm a little nervous. And I'm like, that's how your dog feels when they see a hat that's scary or whatever they whatever it is. That ever it is. And it is fascinating that yeah. you, cause we sometimes assume everybody, like you said, thinks like we do like, well, how can you not understand that? But I think your book, you know, visual thinkers is really going to open the door for people to have more empathy for their dogs. If they're not a visual thinker and understand that people well, I do think a lot of talks
1: things. to businesses. Oh and, yeah. And uh, we need people that will fix elevators. I can't believe the amount of busted escalators I'm seeing. <laughs> yes it, or it is a white wall around the escalator for months uh-huh and at the time there's nobody working on it yes yes. and because those visual thinkers that should be working on it when mm-hmm. they're playing video games in the basement because they never got a chance to work with tools or do job class stuff
0: yeah and those it are is. good jobs
1: yeah. those elevators and escalators are not going away
0: exactly exactly you talked about <clears throat> that you have students in colorado um, state that you know, yeah. how to feel these bits. Um, what are the classes that you're teaching at Colorado State that people can kind of start to understand? Well, I have this? a
1: class where I teach basic livestock handling, mm-hmm. and one of the things that I talk about is looking at what cattle are looking at.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: For example, I always get asked, "Are they afraid of getting slaughtered?" Well, I had to answer that question when I first started. And I'd go back and forth between the local big slaughter plant and the local feed yard, and what I observed is they behave the same way in both places.
0: Mm-hmm. The yes, I
1: was actually better at the slaughter plant. They were actually yeah. there. And I was at a big startup last year. And at three o'clock in the afternoon, a big shadow that looked like a spider appeared and they wouldn't walk over it. So mm-hmm. my student, Megan Corgan, did an interesting study with a children's play set and horses. Now, I think this would also apply to dogs too. Mm-hmm. I think and so. I think this would explain why a horse sometimes gets scared. So you have a little children's playset, and it's got a, a slide and a swing. So if I take this book, it's a webinar. They're not able to see it. <laughs> think about the slide on the playset. It's going to look totally different sideways mm. than if you looked at the slide head on. Okay, think about a car looking different from the front than a car looking from the side. And so this little playset thing is about you know four foot square colorful plastic swing for a toddler and a, a little slide and they walked fillies and colts by it 15 16 times until they no longer stopped they no longer chucked their head up and they no longer flared their nostrils mm-hmm. and then when the play set was rotated 90 degrees it became a new object
0: mm-hmm.
1: now this was all done at a walk
0: mm-hmm.
1: this would have been very dangerous at anything faster than a walk yes and you know we would look at that a verbal thing would go that's a kid's toy Yes, yes. You see, that's kind of a level of abstraction they don't have. Yeah. And yeah. and then I kind of did we have a paper published on this. It's got something like reaction of a to a complex rotated object in the American Quarter Horse. I don't know uh-huh. why reviewers wanted a quarter horse in the title, but they did. <laughs> but I think I've seen that study. It yeah. explains some of these spooks for no reason. Then at a Western riding class, I repeated the experiment informally with a big green plastic chair. Mm -hmm. And I had Western riders walk by it. I was only going to do this at a walk until the horses no longer look at the chair, no longer stopped, rotated that chair 90 degrees, half the horses, hard stop. Now, if that had been at a gallop, riders would have been dumped right For sure. I did it at a walk. I don't want anything dangerous happening here. I just want to prove the point that the chair became something different. And then when I was talking about it in my class, I mean, in fact, we had some very good discussions during COVID on the discussion board and says, well, that explains why my horse was terrified of its feeder when I stood it up on end.
0: Mm -hmm. And it became
1: something else.
0: It is true. Do you find in your classes that you have are they mostly visual thinkers or do you get a combination of all thinkers? Oh,
1: I get a combination
0: all. of all. Do you find and, that?
1: And I find that I have to make checklists of distractions to look for. Coats on fences, shadows, sh- a metal strip on the floor, a drain on the floor.
0: Yes, uh, you know, it is my horse that she has passed. She was 34. She passed last year, but she was afraid of manholes when we moved because she had lived in a place for 20 years that didn't have any manholes. It was all fields and we yeah. didn't really yeah. go anywhere. And I remember the first time I walked her, thank goodness, I was just walking her on lead and I wasn't on her back. And we came to a manhole and she stopped. And I did exactly what you said. We just kept walking by. I give her carrots, yeah. but we just walked give by. Give a chance to look at it. Yes. And together. then eventually she was fine with it, you know, for the most part, you know, cause manholes don't change direction very much. Um, yeah. But it was interesting. Manholes too. were scary.
1: Like wherever there's a change in the floor, you know, especially the grazing animals, horses and cattle, they need to stop, put the head down and look at the manhole or look at the metal strip on the floor. Or maybe you're going from a concrete floor to a dirt floor, wherever there's a change in the flooring.
0: I think I'm going to highlight that in this podcast and put it everywhere on Horse World because you know how many people I would see at my ranch you know, their horse would look down because there was a change in the texture yeah. and they'd yank them up. No, you know, no, no. Let them look um, That's wrong. Yeah. That is wrong. Let
1: exactly. Look, let them look. Now, another thing that can help, let's say dirt to concrete. Uh-huh. I've just gone in and scuffed the dirt up on the concrete. Mm-hmm. So you didn't have such a sharp line.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And now in dairies, you'll take a young heifer. She'll be stopping at every drain and everything. And the experienced cattle walk over it yes but where you're most likely to have problems with this is when the animal's in a new place like a vet clinic Mm -hmm. give it a chance to look at the drain on the floor don't just get away
0: my clients that have dogs who are afraid at vet hospitals i say you need to just go visit give a couple treats visit and then leave and visit and leave because when you have an appointment everything's so rushed you know get in the lobby get in the get 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 and these poor dogs get overwhelmed and then They get over threshold and then the vet goes to examine them and they snap, but it's because they didn't give them time to process their environment. And depending on the sensitivity of the dog could depend on how bad that is. Well, the other thing they need to be doing is giving them a non-slip floor on the exam table. Yes.
1: And, and if the vet doesn't want to bother with uh, cleaning a mat, well, then the owner could get a bath mat with a rubber backing that the puppy that the dog is used to, you bring it in, you put it on the table, you take it home and wash it. Exactly. but that give it a non-slip floor. And I'm finding in livestock handling, I still have to talk about the same stuff. I visited a beautiful facility a year ago. This is recent stuff, nice. after COVID stuff. Yeah. A glass smooth floor in a brand new community college cattle handling facility. A brand new FFA and 4-H barn. Just a very light broom finish. And the student in my classes last semester said it. cattle are skidding all over the place. Yes, but people are still making these same mistakes. Yeah, this old lady does need to keep talking about some of the same stuff. Yes, it is. It is boring stuff. It's just ridiculous. Brand new I, facilities, real recent with these mistakes.
0: I, I agree. We had some state of the art vet hospitals built in where I am recently, you know, within the last couple of years since you know, fear-free since we've known all these things. And I get super excited to walk into these brand new, you know, they got it, they rebuild it. And I'm like, oh, they're going to do it right. And then I walk around and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's all the same. It's like that. What we need to do is get the architects involved because the architects just want it to look pretty. And if the vets haven't spent time that are paying for it to really understand this stuff that you and I are talking about, it just, we keep repeating history and we don't get a chance to make changes that, that are best for the animal.
1: Well, let's say you got a glass floor, you know, smooth floor in the lobby and the big dogs have a really hard time walking on that. You know, there's a plastic runner that hotels buy to put down on carpet mm-hmm. so that the um, people don't track in salt and snow and things. Yes. Put those down on the, on the floor and give the Great Dane a runner to walk on.
0: For And, and you, well, I had a, that-
1: a Simple thing that
0: people can do. I just had that experience Um, last week. I had to take my lab is 14 and he has a bad back. So we have rugs everywhere on our tile. Anywhere there's tile, there's rugs in my home. Mm -hmm. And so I took him to the vet, not because I haven't been in the building since COVID because everything was not allowed. And I didn't even think about having him go from the lobby to the exam room. And he was struggling. Like I had to help him because it was all slick. So Mm -hmm. when we got in the exam room, I made him lay down and I thought, Wow, I maybe next time I have to put little pads on his feet or put it, you know, because the hallway was really long. So I don't know if I would be able to get a rug. But I was, I didn't, I was a little discouraged that they hadn't really thought about that. And it's a newer facility. And I have this dog who already has a hard time walking and now he's gonna, he's scared. So he's not walking normal and he was sliding all over. And fortunately i had the fortitude to know i had to balance his hips and he trusts me so i could hold him and he wasn't scared so we didn't have to worry about that but it is something that people need to be thinking about across the board of how do we keep our animals safe but but again if we go back to this visual thinkers you and i see it right away but an analytical person may not see it well i walked
1: into this brand new community college and i said uh you need to buy some mats. And when I got an animal there's something thing called animat. And uh-huh. Page up, and you better buy some of these. And you better put them in there before you even think about
0: using it. I think that that's something that's great. And I'm thinking about the vet tech school that's local to me where my daughter's enrolling. I've only been in there once, but I don't remember seeing any mats. I remember, I think they had all shiny floors. So I think we still got, like you said, you're going to be still saying The same things that you've been saying for, you know, 20 plus years. Well, the other thing that's
1: really important when you, when you introduce an animal to something new, let's say it's the carrier Mm -hmm. or let's say it's a horse trail or a vet clinic, anything that's new, it's really important that it be a good first experience. Yes. That they don't have falling on their head or something in a horse trailer or sliding around and getting freaked out at the vet clinic, uh, make their carrier like it's a good place. You yes. know, they're safe if they go in their carrier, make it yes. something good. So new things, first experiences need to be good. So one of the things to do in Fear Free is to bring them in for a little visit and give them traits.
0: Exactly, exactly. And that's why I had to do that with my lab when he was a puppy at this vet hospital, the technician or the receptionist has scooped him up and he got really scared. He had never been afraid of a human and this was about six months old. She scooped him up and he barked because he got startled. And then he had his neuter and he came home and he was terrified of her. He would see her and he would growl and he would cower. So every week, like two, one or two times a week, we went and just get, Michaela gave him cookies. She gave him cookies. She gave him cookies. Now she's his favorite. Like he looks even at 14. So we don't do that anymore. We haven't done it since he was two, but he walked into that office and he went around looking to see if she was behind the desk (laughs) And, and she was. And so she gave him a cookie, but, i had to undo that unwanted but now we and sometimes you can get these fear memories so bad they're very difficult to undo yes
1: Especially in an animal that has very high strong high fear genetics for sure more stressed and and sometimes it's very
0: difficult to undo it exactly and that's the other thing
1: we need to be doing is training dogs to tolerate having their paws manipulated and things like this. Why do nail trims have to be a fight? I yes. go to the vet clinic, I got this picture of this lion with <laughs> its foot up on a grating and the other, one hand is cutting the nails, the other hand's meatballs with tongs. Exactly. And, and I show that at vet, at vet conventions. And I said, if you can do this for the lion, yes. why are we fighting with dogs? Yes. Because the thing that we need to be doing is training the puppy to have the paw kind of hold kind of firm And Mm -hmm. manipulate it Mm -hmm. and not yank it away. Yes. And it gets a treat for not yanking it away. And train the puppy when it's young to tolerate that because you don't want to have these things where you know you got three people holding a gigantic dog down over a nail trim. Exactly. And then it's trauma, it's
0: more scary. And now the vet hospital got scary. And now these people are scary. And now these clippers are scary. And all. Another
1: problem we have a lot of with a lot of dogs. I think they're living way too sheltered a life.
0: Mm-hmm. You
1: know, we have very, very strict leash laws here. Mm-hmm. And um, you're not allowed to let your dog run off the leash, even in this field that's, you know, we have a field down at the end of the road. And Cheryl was out there one day, let her dog off the leash and the bike policeman gave her. <laughs> they, they're not getting out and getting exposed to enough things. Yes. To enough new things. And I think that's a
0: big problem. It is, I teach a a puppy class where I've been teaching it for quite a while, and I tell them expose, expose, expose. And what's also frustrating is there's still veterinarians who tell people, don't take your puppy anywhere until after they're fully vaccinated, but then we're missing, you know, take them safe places, take them places where, you know, they're not going to, parvo's a risk, but you go to my puppy class where we bleach it before they show up anyway, and they get to play with other puppies and then go take oh, them in a shop. Early
1: socialization is so important. And, yes. you know, we used to take, well, remember when we were kids, we'd take the dog into the vet to get a vaccination. It was no big deal.
0: Exactly, exactly. So they,
1: we didn't have to do nail trims because they ran around outside all day and their <laughs> nails got rubbed off. We didn't, didn't have to do that. It's but I tr- think a lot of animals are leading to shelter to life. What mm-hmm. so makes them more afraid of all different kinds of stuff? You know, then you go to Mexico where you go, I remember going to Philippines and places like that and you got cattle grazing by the highway. Nothing's catching. They've seen it all. They've seen it all. Yes, for sure. But then when you take a horse to a horse show, I call it the big three, bikes, flags, and balloons. Mm -hmm. And one of the best ways to get an animal used to stuff like that would be to decorate the pasture fence with flags and let them walk up to it. Let them approach new things. the thing about novelty, New things are attractive when the animal can voluntarily approach and they're scary when you shove it in their face. Yes. I call it the paradox of novelty. And yes. That's that, um, that's discussed in detail in animals and translation. Perfect. And you let you, let's, if I put a beach chair out in the middle of the pasture, horses are going to come up to it. Yes. But if I, yes. shove it, let's say the wind's blowing it around, They're going to get scared. I talked to a rancher the other day and a horse got afraid that they flew a kite in the pasture. Mm -hmm. All the horses took off and went and hid in the barn. Mm -hmm. Now you see if they saw kites every day and then the other big issue is drones. Now, and if you just put them up in the air and let them hover, they're fine. Yes. But we had an idiot news photographer at our equine center decide they were going to come at us with a drone, like a plane coming in for a oh, no! This was really, really bad and it took those horses 20 minutes to calm down. So yes. let's say an animal has a complete meltdown at a vet clinic. The cat is a furball, the dog is all upset, the horse is all you know, gotten scared with the drone. It's going to take 20 minutes for them to calm down. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't even try to do anything with them until they've calmed down. And if you've ever been a near miss accident,
0: uh-huh, yourself, yes, we've you experienced it. And it took 20 minutes to calm down. It's true. I just, I flashed to when I had, it was probably 10 years ago now, but a car was flying at me. It had didn't break and it flew over a car. And I thought it was going to crash right into me and crashed into a rock, but it was five feet from my car. Yep. I was shaking afterwards. Yep. You know, I couldn't, I had to drive to pick up my kids. So after everybody was safe and I called the police and everything, you know, and they said, okay, you could go. I pulled in just five, maybe 50 yards, hundred yards to where I had to pick up my kids. And all of a sudden I was shaking and my friends were like, you need to sit down because I, and I had to wait because I couldn't drive right after that. Once the adrenaline all went through and that's what these, Yeah. yeah, that's what these, you know, horses do. And, you know, it's another thing I work a little bit with, um, a rescue and I do some stuff with fearful horses who may have been abused or not experienced humans and what I noticed the mistake of a lot of the volunteer and staff make is they go straight up to that horse that you know and then the horse runs away and they say see it doesn't work instead I go in and I just stand there you know let no. the horse check stand me there, out let
1: it come up to you and don't eye it yes a friend also don't come up to your back
0: Yes. And then if I happen to have carrots or a treat, you know, I might pass one to it behind if it wants it, if it doesn't. And um, I can get involved and brush the groom those horses a lot faster than some of these other people can. But as humans, we have to slow down, especially when we're working with fearful do- um, animals in general.
1: Well, the other thing is the mistake people make, and I saw people at a very big, fancy horseshoe doing this. They were patting the horse. Well, that's hitting a horse. That's <laughs> hitting a horse. Stroke your horse when it does something right. Don't hit it. And it it's, I discuss that in my books. Stroke your animal. Don't hit it. Oh my gosh, you Having just remind
0: hitting. Yes, and you just reminded me of something that my daughter, before she was diagnosed with autism, said. We pulled up to the ranch once, and we pulled up to the arena, and you know, people oftentimes chase their horse with the whip and to get them to run and exercise. And she's like five, and she said, "Mom, why is that lady scaring her horse?" And I went, um, you are very, very intuitive little girl, because after that I changed the way I saw like even lunging, my horse changed after that. I was like, well, I don't want her running from me. I want her to exercise because I'm encouraging her. And instead of using the whip as a chase or a hack, you know, it was more like an extension of my arm gently and my horse wasn't afraid of it, but this other horse was terrified. And this person was just chasing it with a whip, you know, cracking the whip. Yeah. Yeah, And, and it was my five-year-old daughter um, who made me see that perspective because she was obviously a visual thinker from, from the beginning. So little kids
1: tend to be more visual thinking and then words tend to take over. And I actually discussed some of the studies on this in my visual thinking book.
0: Oh, I can't wait to. I have to look at it. I we just. I am, I'm really looking forward to. I've read most a lot of your books, but that one I don't think I've fin. I've gone through yet, so I need to well, go the through that. Well, visual thinking.
1: The parts would probably be the most interesting to the animal people, are the chapter on the scientific research on visual thinking, because mm-hmm. the object visualizers like me think in photographs, and then you have the mathematical pattern thinkers who think in patterns, not photographs, mm-hmm. and then oh, I- the word thinkers and then the animal consciousness chapter,
0: those mm-hmm. two chapters will probably be the most interesting. Well, I think your whole, everything, the way you have changed animals because of your own gift of, you know, and sometimes as a parent of a daughter who was diagnosed with autism, you know, that can be a, a scary world to navigate in our society. And now it's been great because I've let her kind of follow you and I followed you. And it's a gift. It's something that people need to embrace and see, because look at all the amazing things you have done. Well, I've worked with a lot of
1: people that worked on designing mechanical equipment, inventing mechanical equipment that were also visual thinkers like me. And they took shop classes. And I'm seeing too many these kids playing video games in the basement when they ought to be inventing stuff. And oh, they tend yes. to not be the best students.
0: Yeah, don't even taking get me started on those class. video games. <laughs> video yeah, taking games. Hands,
1: like... Taking hands-on classes out of the schools is the worst thing they've ever done. And some of them are starting to put them back in. Yes. And here, just where I live, um, they're worried about insurance and liability, letting special ed kids take shop. Well, this Ugh. is ridiculous because I worked with people out in industry that would definitely be labeled autistic today that owned big, gigantic shops, and
0: they had 20 patents each yes the uh, the labeling and the limiting of and the worry that people who don't live in this world you know the outside you know i think is it's a hindrance and and we and we need people like you and other people to say look this isn't limiting this i get to see things from a different perspective to really help the world and the way that you can vi- verbalize it to kind of help explain To those people who don't see the things the way that you and I see them. That's an important lesson that people who are not visual thinkers, but if we can explain to them in ways, I, I talk a lot to my clients in antidotes because if they don't, if you can see that they're not getting it, I say things, you know, I, I try to give a, an example that they might understand. So, um. Well, I don't want to keep you all day, although I do because I could talk to you all day. Do you have anything that you would like to be able to share with the audience that on our listeners at any little green? We'll ha- definitely put all the links to your books in um, because I think you have some amazing- Well, the
1: books that are most important are my, my new book, Visual Thinking. Mm-hmm. Some people who think in pictures, patterns and abstractions, animals in translation and animals make us human. Yes. Now, if we have some livestock people, Yes, uh, Temple Grandin's guide to working with farm Now, the chapter um animals. This book, "Animals Make Us Human," that has a, a whole chapter on horses, Good. dogs, cats, the zoo animals.
0: You know, things have really changed. Even you know, in the last twenty or thirty years, of how we perceive animals, and we just need to keep helping people realize that they are, you know, thinkers. They have a conscious. They have emotions. They have, you know, well,
1: they definitely have emotions. Let's talk a little bit about emotions. Yes. In uh, both my new book Visual Thinking and in Animals Make Us Human, I discussed the Jack Skep seven core emotional systems. Mm-hmm. All mammals have them, and you have fear that motivates an animal to get away from danger, motivate people to get away from danger. Mm-hmm. Then you have anger, that's a different emotion than fear. Then you have separation distress. You take the mom, the puppy away from the mother dog, and they're uh, they're crying. That separation stress, or the dog's home alone and wrecks the house, separation distress. Mm-hmm. That's not the same emotion as fear. Mm-hmm. And then you have exploration or seek, the urge to explore. Mm-hmm. Now, different different scientific literature will call this stuff different things. Uh, seek can also be called high exploration, low exploration. Fear can be bold or shy, high fear or low fear. And genetics has a big effect on this. And a genetically flighty animal will have a bigger startle response if it's suddenly scared. Then you have the sex drive. Then you've got mother young nurturing, like the mother dog licking the puppies, being a good mother. Mm -hmm. And then play. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And these are in all mammals.
0: Yes. And they're
1: affected by both genetics, but also, you you know, if you have a dog that's gotten abused, that can make it more fearful.
0: Yes, and then if they didn't get socialized, so if you had a fearful genetics, and then they missed their socialization period because they were told to isolate them, and then they go out to the real world, yeah, and then they get fearful. That is really bad. It is, and I see those dogs. I call them the trifecta. When they have genetics, they didn't get socialized, and then they have trauma, I say they have the trifecta of fear, and those are hard to to fix and, and help. Because well, there's... they are
1: hard. I mean, it's sort of like PTSD in people.
0: Exactly. And the
1: thing that's interesting, when I first started animal uh, as a professor, uh, that'd be um, 33 years ago, mm-hmm. I was not allowed to use the word fear in a scientific paper.
0: Oh, you had wow. to call it
1: agitation. Oh, my gosh. Well, so I might have papers where I talk about agitation in cattle, because uh-huh. I wasn't allowed to use the word fear. Yes. And the yes. thing is, that if the, if the word fear had been used in in the neuroscience literature for mm. several decades
0: yeah
1: and i did a paper long, quite a long time ago called assessment of stress during handling and transport 1997 and it was one of the first papers in the animal science community to introduce the fear word and some of the neuroscience that showed that fear is a real thing yes just agitated behavior yes so some people were doubting whether or not animals have emotions yes they definitely have emotions
0: when i'm training dogs i actually do um them a lot of times when one of those feelings aren't being met, that's when you might have problem behaviors, which goes to a whole human psychology of nonviolent communication where an unmet need, which is mostly an unmet emotion. So you're fearful. You're going to bark, growl, and lunge sometimes, you know, cause that need of safety yeah. isn't being met. And that's where training, if people need to understand feelings and emotions in these animals to train them better, because if you're trying to train a fearful dog, you know, or a horse, you're trying to train that my horse to walk over that manhole and she's rearing up and I beat her with my whip, which I never did. But if I had done that, and now I'm just making her more fearful instead of just saying, wait a minute, she's afraid. Let's get her over the fear. And then we can teach her. Well, first of all, just let her look at it. That's exactly. That's all. Yeah. Punish fear. It's going to make it worse. It is something that that is in the community of dog training we still have a lot of work to do you know there's still a lot of people who use pinch colors and choke colors and shock their dogs and a lot of times those dogs are fearful and then they don't understand why the behaviors get worse you know rather than better so i think having those emotions is something people need to start learning to embrace well, the more. main
1: difference between people and animals is not emotions is the size of the computer that sits up here on top. We've <laughs> got a gigantic computer that they don't have.
0: I I tell people the biggest thing that makes it is you know, dogs don't have this mouth that goes on and on and on, and you know they actually pay attention to everything in their environment because when we are talking and we get distracted, you know, if you're driving with a friend, you don't even recognize what you're driving through, and that's what I always tell people: the difference between dogs. And humans is a lot. Is, it's that computer. It's that we're, they're they're being present more than distracted by everything.
1: Well, just think about things differently. And an animal lives in a sensory based world. And I recently read about some very interesting research done at Cornell University, of, um, where they found that there's a direct sort of internet connection going from the olfactory bulbs. That's the mm-hmm. uh, where the dog's nose is connected to, to the visual cortex. Mm -hmm. The nose is connected to the visual cortex, Mm -hmm. three-dimensional smell pictures. Mm -hmm. Now that's very truppy.
0: It is. And you know, that makes me, I have a really sensitive nose and I'm a very memory, smell memory person. So I can smell green cut grass. And I think of when I was in high school running track, like Mm I am, I smell things and it goes straight to my memory and my visual too. So that would be another fascinating thing to look at more to sensory based
1: world. And I see people out there yanking the dog away from the tree it wants to smell. It doesn't get a chance to do any dog social. life. You now, when I was a child, all the dogs ran loose and we just didn't have all the behavior problems. Now we did have a lot of car accidents. That's the bad part of it. But the behavior problems we got today, we didn't have because yes. all the puppies were socialized to the neighborhood dogs and basically had three rules. Don't pet dogs. You don't know. Never bother them when they're eating. And, and when they're asleep, if you want to wake them up, call them to you. Don't up and touch them
0: and now we think we should control them and do oh you know do everything and um, it really has hindered their behavior too so we more behavior you know.
1: problems than we've ever had and dogs just chewing up houses that just didn't happen exactly puppies yeah. chewed things and that was about it adult dogs were not eating up the sofa
0: exactly exactly and it's so much of our society you know see a lot of people who get dogs who think they're just gonna behave just because the people want them to, but there's no relationship. There's no teaching. There's no acknowledging their needs. You know, a lot of times I think humans get, uh, I've gotten a little selfish and they think, well, I want a dog to almost be a decoration. And I worked with a woman once with horses that it kind of bothered me because horses were basically just art in her field. You know, she didn't do anything with them. And then when I started working with her, I started, you know, walking them more and engaging them. And God brought toys, you know, things for them to explore in their pastures. And I remember thinking, this was a long time ago, how sad it was that these horses were just art. But in some ways, sometimes our dogs now are just becoming a, well, I have a dog. You know, not, they're not giving them the life that they could have. Well,
1: we try to look at it from a dog's point of view. Exactly, exactly. And I, well, I, my co-author, Betsy, on the visual thinking book, you know, she's my, I did the well of rough dress, but then she smoothed everything out, made it beautiful. And I remember when she got a dog, I said, I want you to take it out in a field where you can get it off the leash and you can just watch what it does. Mm-hmm. And she realized when she watched what it does, you know, that it's in a different world.
0: Yes. Yes. That's an interesting thing. I think that's part of us visual thinkers because when I was in college, I um volunteer I observe it did a lot of observation things so i observed in zoos and i observed antelope out in acres and i did a lot of obs- observing and there were things that i would catch and people go what do you mean they did you know this because i was like well they sniffed and i had to, i had to do it all scientifically but it was so fascinating to me to watch how behavior doesn't happen just because like there's you know behavior is a response to something else and it's a response to something else and a consequence of something and um it really becomes this beautiful chain of, you know, um, cause and effect and cause and effect, not just a straight linear, dogs did this because they're bad or good, but then, you know, this dog did this because of something else in the environment that maybe the humans didn't even notice.
1: They may not have noticed it. You exactly. see, I tell people, observation's really important. For Be sure. a good observer. What's your animal orienting towards? You know, exactly. warnings.
0: And I think if we had more people observing than of just any of their animals, what they were doing, they'd be in an easier yeah. spot. So yeah, that's right. Well, well, Temple, I, this is fascinating. I think this is a great, I can't wait. I hope people read your books and learn from you because you have lots of wisdom and I'm so grateful that you were here with me today. And I'm so grateful that you have helped so many people. So if thus you have any wisdom left that you'd like to share we can wrap up but if you have anything else you'd like to share with anybody
1: basically one of the most important things is that an animal lives in a sensory based world okay an octopus it's a total touch based you know Mm -hmm. that that'd be very different than a dog a dog is social life is smell but then when i read about this circuit that um where the nose had a big internet connection to the visual cortex i'm going smell pictures
0: Yes, yes. That's
1: new Cornell research done with MRI scanner.
0: Oh, <laughs> well, there's so many Another, things we can other do. Another study that
1: showed that animals have emotions was Gregory Burns' work. He mm-hmm. trained dogs to lay still in the MRI scanner, in a functional MRI. Mm-hmm. And when they smell their favorite person, the emotion centers light up.
0: Yes. Yeah, yeah the MRI is going to bring, the MRI will bring some of this into those more analytical thinkers will believe what we've been saying, being visual thinkers that we've just known. Um, some of the people who need that science to prove that they have those emotions that that hopefully will help uh, you know help animals in the long run.
1: No, they definitely do, and thank you so much for having me on the, your show.
0: Thank you very very much. I really appreciate it. Thank you guys for listening.